We got someone new today. That's right, baby. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. On my right-hand side is my right-hand man, Gabriel. On my left-hand side is... I don't know if I want to call her my left-hand lady. That might be misconstrued. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, she's my baby sister. Here in Daddy's lap, we have my baby sister. Avila the Believers. We've got Gabe's the Babes, Avila the Believer, and I'm John. Mm-hmm. Today, today on Rock and Roll Podcast, we have Slaves to Fashion, who has a new album called History of Heavy Metal, uh, which was released in February of this year. And we'd actually had Slaves to Fashion on last year to talk about a couple of singles while this was in the works. So now... Torfin is back to share some more information about this album now that it is actually available. So, Torfin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely. How is... What are you doing? Stop it. Um, how is life in Norway these days? We just had, a, <laughs> we just had another local lockdown the three days ago or four days ago. So it's ups and downs and we're not getting rid of the pandemic, but now the vaccines are, you know, in motion. So hopefully we have a release gig in two months, uh, postponed release gig, of course, because we should have had a concert on the, on the day the album came out on the February 13th, but uh, we're optimistic. Hopefully, Everything will be good and even better than before. Perfect. She's excited. <laughs> she likes metal. How is the uh, the vaccine schedule over there? Like, are you able to get vaccinated at this time? Mm, no, I think I'm actually uh, the last one to get it because I'm uh, pretty healthy and uh, I'm in the, you know, Exactly wrong age to get a vaccine. But hopefully my parents, they are about uh, 74, 75 years old. They're just waiting to be called in for their vaccine. So I think we're a bit slower than you. Maybe. Is that right? Maybe. Canada, yeah. Well, I think it might depend provincially as well in Canada. Yeah. Uh, Where I'm at, it's a little up in the air. My in-laws, who are like in their 60s, yeah, they're going to be getting their vaccine here. I think this week or next week. Oh, yeah, but that's faster than here, then. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm waiting to see what's going on with my age group, as well as I work in a group setting, so that might push me a little bit ahead. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm a teacher, you know, so uh, I'm I, I I could be uh, pushed ahead, but uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Speaking of teaching, you're going to be teaching history class here, history of heavy metal. Yeah. Is that the, is that, is that the class that you teach? Yeah, this, uh, that's uh, one of the reasons I started this project was because uh, I, I, I did some, uh, uh, I, have, I have one lecture every year about uh, the, the history of heavy metal in the, in the music class at school. So it was actually the starting point for the whole <laughs> idea of making this album. Uh, so, um, uh, absolutely, I, I do that uh, at school sometimes, uh, and also I have some lectures around in the community, like in a culture center or at the bar or or at events and festivals and like that. So, absolutely, absolutely, there's a 
there are some teaching involved in this um, in this album album project. Yeah. Okay, so we can actually get pretty deep then, because from a scholastic point of view, if that's the right word to use, um, what differentiates different kinds of metal? Is it tunings? Is it keys? Does it not matter? Could the whole is this like could this whole thing be in standard tuning in the in the, the key of C, you know, or A minor? What what is it that differentiates? Say for example, just because I'm looking at it right now, the power of metal track number eight and the new wine track number nine. What differentiates mm. those two that makes one power metal, say like Hammerfall, mm. and one new metal like say Lincoln Park? I think it's uh, di- different uh, different genre traits that um, dif- differentiate these genres, but um, there's one thing that stands out. I think it's the vocal style. The vocal style is very important. Um, like uh, you could say, every subgenre has its own vocal style. Like the power metal, you know, it's uh, pretty. Often high pitch, it's melodic, um, it's a sing-along, uh, you know, melodies. While new metal, for instance, you know, has the element of rap and it's more modern and its approach. It's very, you know, what, what can I say, modern and American sounding maybe, you know. So mm-hmm. they don't go really high up. There's more of that uh, mm, Drowling thing in between. So vocal style is definitely uh, maybe the most important aspect of different genres. But also, like you say, tunings. Uh, power metal is not so low sounding in the tunings. Uh, new metal often were, you know, pretty down tuned. Like they went put a, an extra string in the guitar and went to the B, you know. So uh, this is my beautiful wife. She's making a yeah. guest appearance. Bam. Yeah. That's a name. We got the whole fan bam finally in the in the scene here. Anyway, <laughs> so you were saying they added an extra string. So that's starting to get into like uh corn territory because they showed up on the scene not only with seven strings, but they tuned them down a full step. So we were talking about being in A. Yeah, I know. Uh, and there's uh, some bands going even even lower than that, you know. So it's uh, it, it went a little crazy with down tuning. But I think absolutely, if, if you look at the um, uh, there, there's something going on in the '90s when it's like there's a modern direction, you know, with the low tunings and everything, um, and. There's the traditional, you know, direction with where the power metal bands are at, because they were actually, I would say, a reaction to what happened with the alternative thing, the grunge thing and everything with the new metal, you know. So power metal became, you know, a alternative to the alternative, if you like to put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I guess uh, um, traditional metal fans have problems with the alternative styles and and often the the uh, more modern alternative metal fans they have problems with the power metal thing that's at least how i i look at it 
so heavy metal is in some way a, a big happy family, but there's uh, also differences in approaches and image and, you know, um, um, yeah, those, those kind of things. Mm. It's funny because for, I think a lot of people, yeah, metal is one big happy family. However, I, I can't even count anymore how many times over the years I've heard in one way or another, that's not metal. And then yeah. they, they, they insert some reason uh, years ago at this point, well over 10 years ago, I was in a band and we had a, a female singer and we were doing something similar to uh, like a Nightwish. And yeah. something we heard a lot being in North America was well, that's not metal because you have a chick singer. Yeah. Okay. I, I haven't heard that one before, but it's but it's but it's but it's pretty typical, you know. The that phrase, that's not metal. Uh, that's a pretty typical phrase, you know. When I have uh, when I have these, um, you know. Two hours. It's it, it's 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 a bad word to say, you know. I have a lecture in a in a bar where people drink beer and uh, and get drunk, but I, I don't find a better word for it. But I have a presentation, you know, about the history of heavy metal with with uh, with sound uh, examples and, and and stuff like that. And then I go I go chronologically from 1970 all the way through everything. And at the at the end of it, you know, I'm I'm at the metalcore thing, you know, uh, or, or before that, the new metal thing. And, and after those uh, presentations, there's always some guy coming up to me saying something like, you know, that last, uh, last tunes you played, they really sucked, man. And I'm like saying, okay, yeah, maybe you didn't like it, but it's part of the metal history. Didn't you hear me? It really sucked. So it's like, they don't, they don't look upon those genres like real metal. So there must be something else they, they uh, think is the traits for real metal. So what is that? It has to be, it's not a sound because it sounds like metal. There's, there's distorted guitars, it's heavy. I, I would say it's definitely some kind of heavy metal, but some people don't think it is. So what is it? It must be something else. It has to do with some kind of presentation or image or genre mixing or taking the rap thing in or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think I find this aspect of the metal family really fascinating. All these discussions about what is real metal, uh, why why is this trash metal, why is this uh, metalcore? So even even on a forum on the Facebook, like it's a Norwegian metal forum, uh, the other day there was there was a huge uh, argument about you know one guy said metalcore is not real metal, so <laughs> why isn't it? Of course it's metal. Yeah. It's down tune. It's heavy. It's in your face. It's got everything of the of the heavy metal you know traits really. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That one in particular, I hear a lot of and. Maybe it's the the attitude or whatever, but there's a uh, I don't know if you've seen the memes about what certain guys who listen to metal look like, and the meme about the metalcore guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you so got it because 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 there's um, 
words i'm looking for the word um, stereotypes you know yeah. <laughs> um, linked to the different uh, different kinds of metal you know so like uh, you got the emo girls listening to linkin park and you got the the guys dressed up as vikings and warriors and having role play in the woods and they're listening to power metal <laughs> so yeah it's interesting <laughs> yeah well it's, it's funny because as, as we're chatting about this i also do martial arts and the same con- conversation almost happens in martial arts too you know where people are saying like, oh i do you know karate and that's the real martial art or well i do taekwondo and that's the real martial art and then they start getting into subgenres of oh well you do you know like shotokan karate well i actually do okinawan shuriru like they start getting into yeah know, yeah yeah you know in conversations of uh you know which which is the best martial art and like at the end of the day it's whichever one you're willing to practice every single day and get yeah. good at you yeah. know so uh, I agree. I, I think this is this is a really interesting subject. Also, because I did we did this project, you know, with going through all these subgenres, and, and of course, I myself have some subgenres that I like more, sound wise or or maybe also image wise. But I think it also it opened up my eyes and or let's better say ears for some new kind of music because I think psychologically, if you actually sit down and 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 try to listen more than one time or the whole song through or, you know, the whole album. Mm-hmm. I think we have a tendency to like more things that we actually think we will like. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And it's also, also a, a case of how we want to present ourselves, you know. We, yeah. want to be, we want to be, you know, uh, what's the word, associated with a certain subculture you know uh, i don't want to i don't want to be seen like a, a person saying i don't want to be seen as a as an alternative grunge person i hate that stuff you know or i don't want to be looked upon as a guy that likes power metal so i think th- definitely it has more more to it than the music all these uh, things mm-hmm. that's for sure yeah yeah, no, mm-hmm. I would, I would certainly agree with that. And the, the funny one for me is I immediately focus in on track nine, the new wine, because yeah. that's my high school years right there. Is um, I was in like grade six or seven when corn really hit, and I don't even think it was called new metal at that time. I don't think it really was until maybe actually after Lincoln Park. I don't remember when that term started actually getting thrown around, but that is like my formative years right there. So I immediately tuned into that one to kind of hear what mm. you, what you guys did. And I mean, really good attempt at what I'll call the bounce riff and the bounce tempo mm. and the detuning. Mm. And, um, I guess how conscious of a choice was it to really exaggerate the, I'm mad at my parents kind of, uh, I'm, I'm one, cause you call it wine cause they're whining, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 what's it called? One one word has different meanings. Uh, I I think it was. Um, I think everything we did here. We've, I've been trying to be conscious about everything, every little world word you know about in the in the lyrics uh, and. Um, uh, what can I say? Those. 
those bands uh, not torn so much maybe they were more about a general anxiety there i think but those later bands they were more got got even more popular like linkin park you know mm-hmm. they were they were they were it was a, it was a revolt against you know the established society and you don't understand us and uh, it was like um, a reaction to the parents it was reaction to everyone that was mainstream and success, success, successful, you know. So I think it's um, it, it, it was like uh, in the beginning a genre for, for youth that didn't really got accepted by the other youth. But, mm-hmm. but again, what's the difference? If this was like in the uh, later part of the 90s, you know, it was just the same thing in 1980 when when the, it was the same kids that got into Iron Maiden and Judas Priest about that time. And I, I'm, I'm pretty certain it was long before I was born that it was this exact same thing in 1970 when people started listening to Black Sabbath, you know. Yeah, that was like a reaction to the life of the parents and you don't understand us and heavy metal in its different forms always is like a reaction to the establishment, you know, sounds. And if, and if you don't, what can I say? When when Iron Maiden got mainstream in 19, I don't know, 83, 82, 83, maybe in, in America, you know, they had to find something, because they harder stuff to, get that reaction so thrash metal got got the thing for the youth that wanted to protest and then thrash metal got mainstream on the big labels then you had to get something else like death metal for the kids that really didn't feel felt like they belonged so you know i think i think it's really the same story repeating itself and that's interesting too um i don't, I don't know because maybe we can say the same about the you know metalcore wave that uh, is the newest really big wave in new metal i think mm-hmm. the american wave so it's always uh, about um, a reaction to the establishment and when the established protest thing gets mainstream we have to get something new and it will be exciting to see the next 10 years will there be some new reactions in heavy metal like that yeah 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 yeah, let's see. What else is there? What else? What else can we chat about here? There's so many things that we could chat about. The funny thing is, you mentioned you know the reaction to um, the establishment. I immediately went to thrash metal. I said that that's thrash metal. You know, at least from from my perspective. And somebody older than me could say same thing about like you mentioned about Black Sabbath. Mm. You know, and the Beatles before that, and Elvis before that. Absolutely, and uh, and. Uh, and the controversial term grunge movement, you know, was also a reaction to everything going on going on in the in the eighties. So, um, but I haven't seen like uh, 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 we have that last song on the on the al- album called "Too Close to See Clearly" because, like a uh, like a historian, you can't really see what's been going on the last ten years. Yeah. So in ten years, maybe we'll see what was really. What was really the the thing uh, between 2010 and 
2020. That would be interesting. So maybe we should do a revised uh, version of the album in 10 years then mm -hmm. to to tell the story, tell a better version of the story uh, in the late period uh, up to 2020. Yeah. I mean, as far as the last five years, from my perspective on this show, you mentioned Metalcore. That's gotten increasingly more popular. And oh, yeah. Not even necessarily from the American side, but from the Australian side. It seems to be a pretty big movement in Australia, New Zealand, that area. Um, and it seems to be absolutely massive in Europe, especially in Germany. I've had lots yeah. of uh, German metalcore bands on of varying degrees. And it's getting to the point where bands are now tuning down a full octave. So they're back, yeah. they're back at E standard, but they're... Mm. <laughs> Down an octave, which is yeah, obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I think it's really cool. It's, uh, but, uh, but you know the metalcore thing. It um, what's interesting about the metalcore thing is that it it, uh, it doesn't seem to die. You know, it, it just grows, and it and 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 there's a metalcore metal tree that's. Uh, um, evolving, you know, growing in different different directions. You got new metalcore, you got progressive metalcore, you got melodic metalcore, you got many different types types of metalcore. So um, many other subgenres have, in some way, faded away, but metalcore doesn't seem to to do that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was one. There was a band I heard recently. I can't remember exactly what they were called, but what struck me about the sound. Uh, Torfin, especially speaking of you know what's coming next, is I immediately heard something very '90s esque, kind of somewhere between that post grunge, early alternative era. However, the modern production level on it was had elements of doom metal in it. Yeah, and so I almost thought to myself, is this what the '90s would have sounded like if they had the technology, or is this a new thing that I'm listening to? Yeah. I think that's uh, that's pretty. What's, what can I say? Typical for like the last twenty-five years of metal. You know, this uh, mixing of elements, mixing of subgenres, mixing of sounds, taking a sound from one subgenre into another subgenre, and changing the vocal style a bit, and suddenly, whoa, you got. To, something new. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's why the the big heavy metal tree has, has grown into so many uh, different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, last time around we chatted about, I believe it was Thrash of the Titans, which is cool because you guys had worked with the original engineer who worked with Ride the Lightning, I believe, correct? Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and, uh, and Justice for All. Uh, okay. Fleming Rasmussen from Denmark, he did all those three albums by okay. Metallica, yeah. Okay, beautiful. And then Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, which I believe was the 80s glam metal tune, and you guys worked with uh, a guy in L.A. for that one. Bo Hill, yeah, which uh, he did, uh, he did uh, uh, Rat, Warrant, Winger, like those bands, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you end up working with anybody... For, say, the power of metal, such as, I don't know, Frederick Nordstrom worked hand-in-hand -hand with Hammerfall for almost the majority of their career, as an example. On, on the power of metal, we were extremely lucky to get um, one of the other famous uh, producers, 
that is attached to a certain subgenre. We got uh, Tommy Hansen, who did <laughs> those two uh, Keeper of the Seven Keys uh, albums by Halloween. Yep. And he also did a lot of the comeback uh, albums for Halloween in the 90s. So I think that was... I think we were very lucky to get him to to mix that song um, uh, again. Like I, I, I think I said last time, very exciting for us to to uh, we recorded these songs ourselves. You know, we have home studios, and we but we send the mix sent the mix to these producers, and it's really exciting to get uh, to get. Um, to get the result back and and uh, what can I say a, a little um, looking for the word here um, uh, who am I to say to Fleming Rasmussen that he should turn up the guitar solo a bit or tell Tommy Hansen to uh, uh, ease down on the double kick uh, you know that <laughs> was a, a, a really strange uh, thing but you know these guys uh, these guys are, are all still in the business and uh, there's there was an element of I, I think they thought it was cool to be part of this project but also of course uh, they uh, they gotta earn a living like uh, everyone else so also there was um, an element of that of course yeah I was gonna say you are a paying customer for their service and that is every right you have to get the product that you are paying for. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was telling myself when I when I asked for those changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, groovy. I mean, are any, anybody else like the new wine? Did you work with anybody uh, that would have been prominent in that scene? I'm trying to think of a few names. There's one that I can like see, but I can't um, really quite pull it out. But he had worked with everybody from Papa Roach to Corn, etc. I think I, I think you're uh, talking about Ross Robinson now. Uh, but I, he's, um, uh, he, he was, of course we was discussing these things, you know, in a, in a perfect world with a, with a multi-million budget, we would have tried to get Ross Robinson to do that song, of course, but, uh, but he's, uh, he's still very much in the game, I think, and, uh, was uh, out of reach for, yeah. for this project. Yeah. Okay. But no. it, it, it would have been the right man to do it. Really, yeah. Uh -huh. That or maybe Rick Rubin. Also him. <laughs> but he's, he's, done, he's, he's more versatile, you know. He's done, he did the latest Sabbath album, you know, 13. He, he did Slayer in 1986, Rain and Blood. He's, uh, he's done a lot, of, a lot of stuff. But also he's done some really cool new metal stuff, yeah. Uh -huh. um, I'm also thinking about some, I've noticed this. There's sometimes there are metal bands that are just become safe territory. And, mm. you know, it, there's bands that either everybody hates, even though they secretly listen to them. We'll say like five finger, De <laughs> five finger death punch as an example, Yeah, you know, or nickelback, something that has just become so incredibly popular that everybody wants to hate it, but they're selling out arenas. So that's an awful lot of people that like them. Uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. But then we also get to bands like say the Deftones where yeah. that's safe territory. Everybody can like the Deftones. We don't argue about what kind of metal the Deftones are. We don't, we don't argue about what kind of metal Pantera is. We just, it's, mm. it's like, it's like a safe zone. Or if they come out with a bad release, we just brush it under the rug and we don't talk about it and we forget about it. Mm. Um, and if somebody brings up risk by Megadeth, 
It's like, hey, yeah, whatever. It's okay. Mm. I, 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 I think you're right, but I don't know really what, uh, what to make of that uh, other than uh, some bands just find their own thing, you know, and, uh, and, and stand aside of these sub-genres. Or, and, and some bands, they manage to innovate themselves just as much as they need to and still sound relevant for those who like the, the last album. Um, I, Iron Maiden, they didn't, haven't changed their sound a lot, you know. No. It's really safe. Every, everyone loves Maiden. Metallica, on the other hand, <laughs> really changed a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they are very, you know, everyone likes the old stuff Metallica. Everyone likes a Metallica concert, but many people, many fans, metal fans, like to hate Metallica, or at least some, some, you know, some albums or periods of their career. So I don't know. Uh, take taking chances, taking risks. Um, it's. Uh, if, if you take if you take a chance by uh, changing your sound on, on drastically from one album to another, you, you definitely take that risk. And um, what can you say, Metallica certainly tried to do that, and and or, and they did it. Mm-hmm. Our Maiden didn't, but um, I don't know who got uh, who got away uh, uh, best with it. I don't know. It still waits to be known. Well, Torfin, we've chatted about the album, History of Heavy Metal. We've chatted a bit lecture-wise of the history of heavy yeah. metal. People's reactions, emotions, and attitudes towards metal, the the rise and, and uh, growth of having six snare samples and then having more snare samples in your metal chorus mix. <laughs> Some of those mixes sound like you're riding a snare drum. You know, that's all you you're doing. Um, which is funny, but that's the way it goes. Uh, power metal. We chatted about just about everything. I kind of stuck to the new wine cause that's, that's my stomping grounds. Um, and then elsewise on this record, I have a soft spot for power metal and glam metal. So the rest of them, I, I definitely have a decent respect for, but those are kind of my stomping grounds. Um, mm. you know, so that's definitely some cool stuff. I believe we've chatted about everything. Unless there's something that I miss, though, you can let me know. No, I think uh, it's cool. It's uh, really, uh, it's really cool to be on the show. Oh. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Hello, hello, or should I say goodbye, goodbye? Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Metal Podcast. I've been your host, John Harris. Please head over to our website at www.therockmetalpodcast.ca. There you can sign up for our newsletter and find out more information about today's show.